Welcome to a new episode of the Big J and Little J Show. I am Jordan, and with me, as always, is Connor O'Neill. Connor, how's it going? Oh, well, uh, we're in the, um, I don't know, maybe this is TMI, but we're in three shirts a day heat here in North Carolina. Um, the people that have lived in this state know what that means. Yep, the humidity. It's, if you're walking a dog, you walk around the block, you better just have a T-shirt ready ready for you when you get back because uh, you're going to be sweating through the one that you're already wearing. Yeah, yep. it's miserable. It's one of those days that or it's, we're in the times now where you just go to your car, you crank it up, blast AC rather than the winter where you blast the heat and you just go back to your car like 10 minutes later and finally get in because I cannot sit in my car and wait for the AC to kick in or I'll just start having a road rage. Yeah, I had my my first car I had for about five years and not many of those years it didn't have AC maybe the first year or two. So I got really used to driving around with the windows down and not like driving crazy speeds, but going fast enough to where the wind is, acts as your air conditioning. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm not headed anywhere presentable, if I don't care about getting a little sweaty, I'll, I'll just drive with the windows down because gas prices being what they are, man, I don't want to run the AC very much. Yeah, those things, you, the, the gas prices are so un unpredictable because two days ago it was like 427 where I'm at. And then I got gas today and it was 445. Like, you remember the increments? It used to be like 301, then 304, then 307. Now it's jumping 20 cents just because it wants to. I'm just like, good God, this makes no sense. Yeah. And I swear I'm getting worse gas mileage than I was. I feel like I'm filling up a lot more frequent. I don't know what that is, but I don't like it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so today in today's episode, we'll cover uh, NBA draft news with Kills' decision to stay in the draft and the latest with Jake LaRavia as well, a promising prospect for Wake. And then we'll end this show with our top five movie sequels with the new release of Top Gun coming out. And you have not seen that, right? I have not, so please no spoilers. No spoilers. Um, I just know it's really good. I, yeah. I know everybody I've seen raves about it. Yeah, so we'll dive into that uh, later in this episode, at the end of this episode. We're going to dive right into Trevor Kills. So Trevor Kills, on the date of recording, it was, this would be last night, decided to keep his name in the draft. Apparently, there was somebody that was in his ear that was a Duke alum, that was trying to convince him to stay at Duke in the end, chose the NBA draft. And uh, what's your thoughts on that, Connor? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not surprising. Um, I'd heard a few weeks ago that it was going to go down to the wire. And, I mean, it was, I think, less than two hours out from, from the deadline uh, last night that, he, that it finally came out. Uh, it wasn't even an announcement from Trevor. Um, you know, it's – you can't fault a kid for wanting to leave. You can't fault somebody for wanting to pursue their dreams. Uh, everybody has their own timeline. I think both sides would have benefited a lot from him coming back to Duke. Um, he certainly would have filled a role as, as, the, as that other 
you know, primary guard with Jeremy Roach. He could have played another season with his high school teammate. Um, and I, I think that he could have improved his stock. I think he could have gotten in some in better shape. I mean, he looked like he was in better shape just in the two months from or the month and a half from the end of Duke's season to the combine workouts that we saw. Uh, everybody got fixated on that 13 and a half percent body fat measurement, which was a little weird to me. That's uh, it's almost like it's OK to talk about a, a guy's weight. But then when you start talking body fat percentage, it's like eh, we might be di we might be diving a little too far into uh, personal facts here. But I, I think he could have gotten himself in better shape. I think he could have played his way into the being a lottery pick next year, but you know, these guys dream about being NBA players. Uh, they, and, and there's, who am I to criticize him for, for wanting to jump into that pool now instead of waiting another 10 months to do it. Yeah. And I mean, the body fat that you're, talking about that people love to allude to it's not like it's permanent like he could easily just burn it off rookie year I mean JJ uh he was a little chunky two guard coming in the league when he went with Orlando and he talked about it that he just had baby fat and then he trimmed it down to where he was always in shape the rest of his career ended up being about a 15-year NBA career and so it can be done and if it can't be done then I mean Jokic is a two-time MVP, and all that is, he just has lunch lady arms, and he can score on anybody. And I'm not saying kills will be Jokic. I'm just proving a point that it doesn't matter if you have body fat or you can burn it. And the thing with kills, his question marks to me, it's just like his, his splits just don't stand out to you. I mean, he just I, – I understand that he believes in himself. There's some doubt there with some NBA scouts saying – to him that they kind of pushing him to go back to school for one more year. And there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, he shot 31% from three, three point lines on get farther than that. And he struggled from the free throw line and he's a below the rim two guard. And in the NBA, that's just, that's not a very good recipe for success. Not saying it can't be done, but I would have liked to seen him come to come back to Duke, not only as a fan, but just as, analyzing his game and seeing other parts of his uh, game improve from year one to year two. Love to see those splits increase. So now he's out on a limb to where he's late first, early second. And uh, I don't know. I just 42% from the field too. I feel like those needs, those numbers would be more respectable about 45, 46% from the field, 38% from three, 37% from three. And I saw somebody saying that uh, this was more of a Gary Trent and Frank Jackson. That is more of that scenario than DJ Stewart and Trevor Duvall, Trevon Duvall. But I don't think it's the case. I think this is a very unique difference because I told you off air, one thing Gary Trent had is you knew he had an NBA shot at Duke. I mean, he was shooting six and a half, six and a half threes a game at a 40% clip. Frank Jackson already had NBA athleticism at Duke. And he, oh, by the way, shot 40% from three at Duke. So those guys already proved they had an NBA game, NBA ready game with certain intangibles. And I just don't know if Kills 
showed that at Duke as consistently as he needed to. See, if I put my if I put my evaluator hat on, which you know I'm obviously not an NBA scout or even a, a you know I'm not a scout of any kind. I like Keel's shot. Like it is a fundamentally sound shot. It's a little too robotic and a little too like it's it's too square and that's you know that that's a tough way to describe a a jumper I I like his shot I just I think he needed more consistency uh and I think that's where you come back for a sophomore year you've already gone through a freshman season you've already gone through the ups and the downs and the peaks and the valleys I think that's where he would have really benefited and and been a you know, 15 to 18 point scorer, um, you know, but I, I think, it, I think he's a better shooter than what the percentages showed this year. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. He has, he has a good form, like the base is fine. And then the shot, just sometimes the shot was shorter or was hard and that just comes with reps. And I mean, his NBA draft combine videos, he was hitting them, but also it's social media where he is hit. Everybody hits him in, on social media. But it was a lot softer touch. I could tell by his release point and the way that the ball is going in, it was more swishes than rattles. And that's a huge difference. So he's made those improvements, but people forget, like, there's just a huge jump from the college to the NBA. And just because he's improved his shot doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to pan out next year because <laughs> – people in the G league can shoot that good just as well. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, I wish him the best. It just uh, kind of hampers Duke going in next year because AJ green also, I think he stayed in the NBA draft and his he announcement came before Keels. Yeah. Which he kind of that, that created like an hour of me thinking that, okay, AJ green is staying in the draft because he knows there's, there's not going to be a spot for him at Duke. Um, and then that idea went out the window. Yeah, something happened where it was either Iowa State or the draft. Like it was, wasn't Duke. It tapered off. Then there was a push for kills there in the last like two hours. I mean, I felt like LeBron's decision. I felt like I was watching ESPN again, and I was like, "What the what the hell is happening?" And I mean, I know he was torn. He admitted he was torn. I mean, he grew up a Duke fan. Like yeah. all the pictures that he was posting on social media and stuff. I mean, he grew up. A huge Duke fan, so I know this was a tough, tough decision for him, and he, he bet on he bet on himself. And I mean, if I was in that situation, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't want to bet on myself too to try and prove the doubters wrong, which were the scouts saying he should come back for one more year. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, it's it's just the state of college sports at this point. It's. Uh, even with NIL, even with, you know, these guys aren't making decisions just based on they want to be pros and get paid immediately, no matter what the money is, whether it's the league minimum or the G League or it's a, you know, top 15 signing bonus. Uh, that That's kind of been removed. It's, it's not totally out of the equation, but it's been uh, – it's the word I'm looking for. Um, it's not as much to the point anymore. Um, yeah. But what you're going to see is some of these guys that wasn't that wasn't their goal all along. Like they don't need the money; they they need to pursue their dreams. Um, 
that's that's basically what it boils down to, I think. Yeah, and like you also said with uh, like his dream was to be in the NBA, all those guys that are five stars, that's their dream, like right away that because they're being told in the AAU circuits that's where they're going to be in two, three years. Yeah. And so it's a whole different reality than what you and I know because there's so many people in their ear telling them how good they are to where they go to this combine and actually hear realistic point of views from scouts. And it's like, well, that's, that's bullshit. Like my AAU director has told me since I was 15, I'm going to be a pro. So could you imagine though, like how ordinary jobs are like you and I, like I went to school for broadcasting communications. I go two years uh, professionally broadcasting. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to school and better myself and like get like a grad degree and then go back into broadcasting. If he was like, you know what? I didn't pan out in the NBA. I'm going to go back to business <laughs> for like two years and improve my game, my work ethic, and go back to the league. Sometimes I look, NIL is already a wild, wild west. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? If an 18 year old makes a bad career decision because you're 18, just come back a year or two later, if you're already in the G League or overseas, just go back to your team and then graduate. That'd be so much <laughs> chaos. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah, you'd have uh, your 24-year-old who was a you know late first-round pick that wasn't panning out coming back and playing against 18-year-olds. That'd be fun. I mean, there might as well just be called Miami because that's all Miami is in Florida State. A bunch of 25-year-olds playing 18-year-olds. Hey, yesterday was a bad day for Leonard. He lost John Butler. I thought that guy was a sleeper for ACC Player of the Year next year. Yeah. The NBA, likes those, the NBA likes seven-footers with ball skills, though. Yep. Welcome to the modern game. So what's next for Duke? I think I think it looks like Courtney Ramey would be, you know, plan A at this point. Um, it's kind of like having a – a carousel or a spinning wheel or something where you're just trying to come up with who Duke's two guard is going to be. And, you know, I, I don't think the answer is in-house. Um, I don't know that you look to play Jaden shoot with three other freshmen and, and one junior point guard and Jeremy Roach. Uh, I guess that's, that's the most likely in-house option right now. If you don't pick up a two guard, um, maybe Kale catchings, the Harvard transfer could, could slot in there but I think they're going to bring in somebody else and I think Courtney Ramey is the kind of taking the lead uh by default there he's a Texas transfer he lost a little bit of his role um this past season but he's a veteran guard you know it'll be his fifth year of college basketball he's 6'3 185 and like we've discussed before, like this does not have to be a guy that comes in and averages 15 points a game. You're going to get scoring. Like we talked to Jeremy Roach yesterday at the K Academy. He talked about the things he wants to be better with, with consistency. Um, he's up to 182 pounds uh, and wants to, wants to get up to around 185 and kind of add some tone and add some definition to his body. Um, I would think it's, pretty safe to assume he'll be more consistent as a scorer. We'll see the Jeremy Roach that we saw for the last 10 to 15 games of the season for, for a full season next year. I think Derek Whitehead and Kyle Filipowski are going to be able to give you points. So this two guard does not have to come in and be your, your alpha. Um, 
somebody that comes in and locks down defensively, I think is more of the priority here. And that's where you go out and, and you find some kind of veteran who can buy into defensive principles and, and really lock in and give you, you know, a corner three here or there, uh, a drive here or there and, and solid defense. I think that's what they want. Yeah. I mean, Ramy, his numbers were dipped a little bit last year compared to his junior year, but that's also, that can correlate to new coaching staff. You go from Shaka Smart to Beard. I mean, he was averaging, if you look at his junior splits, he shot 41% from three, 83 from the line, averaged 12 points a game. That's kills averaged 12 points a game this past year for Duke and did not shoot the ball that at that clip. Uh, in this past year, he averaged nine points a game, 35 from three and 76 from the line. And his junior year, when he averaged 12 points a game, he played 33 and a half minutes. So, like, it wasn't like he was playing 16 minutes and had these unreal splits. He can put the ball in the hole. And I think 6'3", is a little tough because Roach is already a smaller guard for Division One size-wise. So, that backcourt is really small in terms of just weight. You go kills was 225, 6'4", 225. And now you have two six three one eighty five guys, and uh, oh, that's interesting. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. You've I got think. enough size. I, I think you've got enough size in your front line and off the bench. Oh with, yeah, with Mitchell and Shu. One hundred percent. Whitehead, Whitehead, Whitehead's uh, six six or six seven. Filipowski's six ten or six eleven, I think. And then Lively's a seven footer. Like yeah, you're you're not. Yeah, you're worried about size at those positions specifically, but I, I don't think that's anything to keep you from keep you away from getting a guy like Courtney Ramey. It, you know, maybe two months ago, if you have the the pick of the portal, but it's June, man. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to speed it up. Like they need to go all hands on deck with one or two guys, and I think this would be a very good fit for Duke. All things considered, I think it'd be a good fit for Duke and that gives Shire something to work with year one and Duke fans like myself need to just look at the bigger picture for already for the year after to because this is a rushed first year lineup for Shire now like it's just rushed like in a sense because the kill situation green and now we're in June looking for a body to fill the hole yeah I you know I don't know if I would call it rushed. I, I think that's I think that's cutting him a little bit too much slack. Like a year ago, he was announced that he was going to be the coach, and he had a a year to put together a recruiting class. Now, if he was thinking that Wendell Moore, Joey Baker, Trevor Keels were like one of those three was going to be back, or even two of the three were going to be back, and now it's zero for three, yeah, then then I can see where you cut him a little bit of slack um, with having that hole at the two guard, but he's had time to put this together. Yeah. It's not like he hasn't tried to, to fill this hole. It's. Oh yeah. It, it just sucks. What I mean by rushed is like, I know he had a vision for going in next year, but with kills literally waiting until midnight of the deadline and Duke, if Duke already knew it was a foregone conclusion with him, then who knows who they could have been aggressive with in the portal to promise certain minutes or certain, you know, a shot at a starting spot. Instead, it was like, 
we like you, but like we have another guy that could be coming back. And it came down to the wire to where now there is a hole with kills. His replacement now is, is it the guard shut who was supposed to be coming off the bench as a freshman? Now, is he going to get even more minutes as a freshman? Who knows if he's ready because you're eight, 17, 18, going to Duke. You don't know until November. Well, now that we're done with the Duke situation, we'll go on to the Wake Forest. So, Jake LaRavia, staying in the draft, good or bad decision? Jake, you know, we're kind of we're, – we're talking about two guys that are right on that fringe of being, uh, you know, one of the last ten picks of the first round or one of the first ten picks of the second round. And that's, that's where Jake is, uh, according to all the mocks, which – you know, again, that comes with the disclaimer that the mocks aren't always the Bible and there's a lot of disinformation about all of the drafts. But there's not really anything surprising about Jake staying in the draft. I think the only shock that comes with Jake is it felt like his announcement was going to come on decision day, like deadline day, and it came a day early. Um, I think that that's just interesting to note. I know it's it's popular to think that everything always works against Wake Forest and like every fan base has a, has a sect of fans that think that way. Um, and so for, you know, the last month and a half or so as Jake's profile has really blown up and how he, you know, he's, he's landed in some people's like top 20 best players in the draft. Um, everybody's just kind of written it off that, that he's a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave. This was a really difficult decision for him. And, and I put that on the board at Deacons Illustrated, you know, Steve Forbes flew to San Francisco to meet with Jake and then flew to Indianapolis to meet with Jake's parents on back-to-back -back days. Like Steve Forbes isn't doing that if there is, if it's a foregone conclusion that the kid is, is going to stay in the NBA draft. Like you're doing that, you know, you're, you're maybe not getting on your hands and knees and begging the kid to come back, but you're also not doing that if, if he's got both feet out the door. So there was a decent chance Wake was going to get him back. And obviously they didn't. Um, it, it speaks to the, to the development and the talent identification for Wake staff. Like that's a kid that was uh, second team, all Missouri Valley, I think is Indiana state's league. Uh, and he comes to Wake Forest and he's second team, all ACC. He's a, he's a six, eight guy that, you know, NBA teams want six, eight guys that can shoot and move their feet on defense. Uh, that's what he does. So it, it's a really good fit. Um, like I said, I, the only shock here was the timing of the announcement was maybe a day off. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's, it, was a, it was a flip of the coin in a lot of ways. Trevor Keel's decision was just didn't come up that they were going back to school. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like his game. When he transferred from Indiana State to Wake Forest, he wasn't even a top 100 recruit, uh, transfer recruit. And I mean, he came off of a year where he shot 31% from three at Indiana State and he upgrades the ACC and shoots 38% from three and improved his 
points per game by three points per game. I love his game. I told you when he gets in that spin cycle, his footwork, where it can turn into a fadeaway or finish around the rim with a smaller guy under him. I mean, 6'8", 225, he'll get to like 230, 235. And he has a European type of offensive game to him that is just fun to watch. He's a smooth cat. And I think there's a spot for him on any NBA roster with the way he plays. Oh, by the way, he can guard one through four because he guarded Caleb Love at UNC and guarded Paulo when they played Duke. So I really like his potential, and I can't wait to follow him. The, other, the thing that bodes well for him going into the league is there might be people on, on Wake's roster that worked as hard as he did. Nobody worked harder than that kid. Um I saw it, you know, it's it's ingrained in me to show up as early as possible to games. So I'm walking into the arena as early as I can. A lot of times that, you know, sometimes two hours before game time, and usually game day schedules, like you can probably relate to this from, from your days at Ferrum. Like you have your, your shoot around and then you, you know, go take a nap in the locker room. A lot of guys go back to their back to their dorms, back to their apartments, take a nap, do whatever you need to do in game day routine. You come back to the arena, get suited up, and then go through team warm-ups. I think every time I walked into the arena between an hour and a half and two hours before game time, that kid's on the court shooting. Like, he's getting up shots. And it's, it's just him. There's nobody else down there other than maybe one manager or one – um, you know, staffer in the athletic department rebounding for him. Like the, and, and the other, the funny part of that is um, it was a storyline around December in wake season when it was really clear that Alondis Williams was really good and really talented. And it was really clear that Jake Laravia was really good and really talented. One of those guys was taking a lot of shots every game. The other one wasn't. And uh, Jake had his breakout performance against Northwestern, uh, an overtime win in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And I think we got Alondis after that game, and we were asking Alondis about, like, you know, Jake being asked to shoot the ball more because Steve Forbes had told us he's never – had a player so talented that he had to beg to shoot the ball as Jake. And we asked Alondis about that. And Alondis said like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to coach. And, and I told coach, like he works so hard and he gets up so many shots in practice. Why does he do that? And then not shoot the ball in the game. <laughs> it was just, it was funny to try to, to see him try to like comprehend this guy works so hard and puts in so many hours by himself shooting to get into the game and take eight shots yeah in 35 minutes and it was just it was, it was hilarious to to hear the explanation from a player who was also on that level yeah i've had teammates like that and i've been that teammate to where i'm getting screamed at bull in the face shoot the gd ball and it's like <laughs> yeah that's what you work on shoot the gd ball and sometimes it's just like it's just it's probably speaks to his unselfishness and it's like his character where he doesn't want to be the bad guy and shoot a bad shot to where he thinks that Alondis Williams or somebody else on the team can have a higher percentage shot. But clearly he found a rhythm averaging 15 a game for Wake Forest. Then he ended up having 31 against UNC. So, I mean, the guy can put it up. Yeah, the, 
look, I'm not trying to take away anything from him, but the the 31 against UNC, I mean, you know how many. It was a blowout, which is even crazier to think about with UNC's run. I was just going to ask, do you know how many fours had career nights against Brady Manick this year? I, I have no idea, to be honest. It's it's about five or six of them. And well, that's one of them. Hey, he's a three and no D type of player. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> my my uh, teammate was kind of the same way. He, he led the conference in fouls per game at like 4.1, but he could shoot the piss out of a pick and pop. So I, I understand how that translates. So with Jake Laravia staying in the draft, Connor, what do you see Wake – or let me rephrase that. Who fills the role that Jake Laravia is leaving behind? So there's already a – there's a natural uh, progression here with Andrew Carr. He is the big man that they brought in from Delaware. Um, I think we talked about him a couple shows ago. Uh, mm-hmm. He is – he was playing a lot of five for Delaware this last year, but that was only because the five that Delaware had had a pretty badly sprained ankle. And he played some of his best basketball in the in the two biggest games of the season for Delaware, their CAA championship game against UNCW, and then the first round against Villanova. Uh, I think he had like 10 or 12 points on five for five from the field. Um, he's going to be a four for Wake. Like, they, they're – the days of him playing the five are over. Uh, and that's a little bit like Jake, like Jake at Indiana state played some five uh, in his second year there. And there was no way Steve Forbes was putting him at the five last year, unless they absolutely needed it. Um, so again, it'll, it'll be Andrew Carr in a lot of that role. I don't know if you expect Andrew Carr to make the same kind of jump and become a, a, uh, second team all ACC player um you know I, like I've said I Wake hit two home runs in the transfer portal last year with Alondis and Jake and it's unrealistic to expect that to happen every single year um I think they got a solid contributor with Andrew Carr and I think they got a lot of other solid contributors in the transfer portal um they'll also take a look at Zach Keller and Bobby Clintman the two freshmen coming in both kind of project as playing those three and four roles. They're both around six, nine. Uh, they're both thin. They both shoot threes. Um, it's it's going to be a fluid situation. And uh, that makes it really interesting to see how it plays out. You know, we're not going to see, we're not actually going to see any of it in the next like three or four months. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out leading into next season. Um and who's who's stepped up? I would maybe not maybe not write it in Sharpie, but write it in erasable pen that Andrew Carr will be starting and play the majority of minutes at the four where Jake was playing. Um, but yeah, I, I would leave a little bit of leniency there if uh, one of the freshmen comes in and really blows people away. Well, I'm looking forward to it because Forbes. I mean, like you said, he. Had- two home runs last year in the portal. And he honestly has always hit home runs. If you look back to the ETSU days of hitting transfers, hitting home runs with transfers, not hitting transfers, not Bobby Knight. Uh, <laughs> so he did work for Greg Marshall though. Um, I can see the fire in his eyes. that he was Greg Marshall. Hey, Greg Marshall, Randolph Macon, 
Kodak, baby. Where's he even at these days? Uh, I think he's always. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because it's kind of crazy how elite he was because he was like one of, you named like five of the best college basketball coaches. And he was always there at like the right there. And now he's just, un, I assume, unemployed. And, or at least doesn't have a head job that I know about. And it just goes to show like, it's just, you gotta treat, treat your players with respect because it's just not the same as what it was in the eighties and nineties. Not only that, you can't run up from behind a player and hit him in the back of the head. Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> there, there's doing that. And then there's, you know, treating them with respect. Like yeah, that, I did not know that. I, I, I didn't oh, know. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was just the way he berated his players. And I knew he got like aggressive. I had no idea about him coming out from behind and hitting him. No. Yeah. There was like a player that he kicked out of a practice. He ran up behind him and hit him in the head. I think he choked a player. Um, there, there was some physical stuff there that was like, Jesus this is, Christ. this is not only coaching malpractice. This is bordering on like assault too. Yeah. Something that, you know, if, a, if somebody did to somebody on the street, they'd be in handcuffs and, and looking at some possible jail time there. Beyond scared straight. Good Lord. <laughs> well, as we close, we are going into our top five. So as we close our top five movie sequels with honoring Top Gun releasing this week, I'll let you go first again. Man, you always make me. I, I feel like I've gone first. You want me for, to go first. I can go first. Yeah, you go first. I'm. Right. I, I feel like I've gone first the last two times. You have you to have go first now. Last two times. Okay, so I'm going first. Number five, Mad Max. I think the oh. time Mad Max is very solid, if not, and I think it's better than the original. See, I've so, never seen the originals. I was about to include that one and didn't. Yeah, the original is pretty. I mean, the original is pretty good. It's in the '80s, so obviously it's not like the graphics are '80s, but it's it's a pretty solid movie. But Tom Hardy just knocks it out of the park, and I really like just how weird it is. Yeah. And so that's number five. Number four is Major League Two. <laughs> I knew that would be on your list. <laughs> Major League Two. Talk about a callback. Self-explanatory. Just. Too many good jokes to not include. And this is my personal top five, not like I am DB's top five of all time. Yeah. Number three, Christmas Vacation. People forget that there was two vacation movies before. It's kind of crazy. They had three, three movies, but they had a different uh, daughter and son in all three movies. Number two, Top Gun. Wow. Already okay. up there. Yes, already up there. Number one, Dark Knight. Batman Begins is the original. Dark Knight, hell of a sequel. And then Dark Knight Rises is really good too. But Dark Knight, and that's number one, obviously, because Heath Ledger and stuff. But it really hits home for me because I grew up as George Clooney was my Batman. So, like, I just knew bad Batman movies. Yeah. Because who was the one before him? The dude that Michael Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton was yeah, like in the early '90s or late '80s, early '90s. But who was the one that was uh, with? Oh my 
let me look it up. Thank God this is a podcast, not a radio show. Oh, it's Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. So yeah. I have Val Kilmer and George Clooney as my two Batmans. And as a five and six-year-old, I was like five to five years old, eight years old. I'm like, you know what? This is a pretty good movie. And then I was like, holy shit, this is horrible. Yeah. And then Dark Knight just boom. Ex- I mean, it exploded in theaters. And I, that's just my number one. I love Dark Knight. So we we have one overlap, uh, and it's gonna it's gonna become obvious as I go five to one what it is. All right, go ahead, and then I'll tell you the one I was thinking about. All right, so I'm gonna start off with two Will Smith movies as five and four. Uh, the first one, I'm going Men in Black three. That is a fantastic movie. I feel like it does not get the attention that it deserves. I feel like I have uh, Bo, the, the dog downstairs, agreeing with me right now as he tries to chew the door hand, doorknob off. Um, but yeah, Men in Black 2 was, was good, but I thought it was a little bit too, you know, related to the first Men in Black script. Like, bad alien comes to town, wants to destroy the world and whatever. Men in Black 3 was just completely reimagined uh, with the time travel and K become, uh, Agent K becomes like Josh Brolin, like that, just everything about Men in Black 3 worked for me. Um, number four is Bad Boys 2. It is a ridiculous movie. It is, it is so movie. dumb and outrageous, but I love it. It's you know, for the same reason that I love the Fast and Furious movies, it's just a guilty pleasure movie. It's like the the one-liners, you know, Martin Lawrence gets off the phone. You think they just won, but they kidnapped his sister. Hope this isn't spoiling for anybody. And he I just mean, goes, it's not a spoiler. It's like 20 years ago, so if you haven't seen it, that's on you. And, and he just goes, shit just got real. <laughs> just the, the corniest, but it works. Yeah, it was probably um, for the for the era that it came out in. Yeah, number three, I I went to the Marvel universe. I wasn't sure if I should go because like technically everything in Marvel past like Iron Man is a sequel, but I went to Captain America: Winter Soldier. Uh, that is my favorite Marvel movie, and I feel like it's a good like sequel and follow up to the first Captain America, uh, and kind of the first Avengers movie. Um, I thought that was a great movie. I thought it's, you know, it, it hits at the the nitty gritty and it's a real like spy movie instead of being a superhero movie. Uh, number two, I went to Star Wars because I am a, a big Star Wars nerd uh, and I went to Empire Strikes Back. Um, that is the perfect sequel that just kind of, it follows the storylines that you wanted to see followed from the first one and introduces new stuff and new characters, uh, new features. And then, you know, the, one of the most iconic lines in film, uh, I am your father was like, how, how do you, how do you not love that? And then number one, if it's not obvious already is the dark Knight. That is one of only, I think three or four movies I've seen in theaters multiple times. Like I, I saw it once and thought it was so good that I had to see it again. I, uh, I guess 
I won't say I illegally downloaded it in college so that I could watch it before it came out on DVD, but there was definitely some shady stuff that happened on the internet in my sophomore year at Elon to where I wanted to be able to watch it. Uh, and it was still like three or four months out from DVD release. So I was able to watch it. And then a lot of my friends were able to watch it also. That's, that's hilarious that we have the same old one again, but it just it, it, it's it still holds up i mean it it really does it's just i mean the opening scene grabs your attention immediately i saw it was on cable like a couple weekends ago on a saturday or sunday and my girlfriend and i were just kind of sitting around the house and she had never seen it so i put it on and was like have you ever seen this no i never no, like bits and pieces you were, you were I think. you were pumped when she said that i bet you were yeah yes, i get to watch it again there were there were at least 10 times where you know some twist or some uh shock thing happened and i looked at her and she eventually had to like stop he, she told me to stop making faces at her and like stop <laughs> stop looking at her like because i was just like oh, did you see that coming <laughs> my uh the one that i wrote down that i just remembered like when i was going through my list is creed with michael b jordan i see i I thought you might have that on there. And I thought so about having mad. it on mine too. Well, I'm so mad at myself because I told myself to put it on there after I left it off my sports movies. When we did sports <laughs> movies, after we recorded, I was like, I'm an idiot because I I love Creed. Like it's it's a good uh, such a good movie. And I left it off of this and I'm so mad at myself. I don't know where I'd put it, but honorable mention is Creed. I'd probably bump out Christmas vacation, and move everything up. That's probably what I'd do. I'd do it all over again, even though that is a Christmas classic, obviously. But you just have instant regret with your list. We uh, we're in the dog days of summer. Uh, we have less than 100 days though for college football to return. So when that comes around, it'll be a lot more spicier. I'll tell you that much. I hate those countdowns. I want to enjoy. I I want to enjoy the summer to the full extent before I start thinking about like, oh, we have only 86 days until, you know. For you, yeah, for you. I can Florida understand. kicks off against McNeese State in week zero. Hey, for you, I understand. For me, that's what I live for. When I see the 100, 100-day clock, I get so amped. I'm like, let's go. I just need to grind out a couple more months of MLB as the Braves have been a huge disappointment. And so I just got to get to August. Beginning of August, I can start looking at reading your stuff on fall camps, getting analysis, and then I'm ready for opening night of all college football. But all right, man. Well, I think Bo is recapping it for us perfectly. I think it's a good stopping point for us both. It's the end of Big J and Little J show. I want to say it's episode six. So we'll see you sometime next week and we'll do it all over again. Sounds good, Jordan. All right, brother.